Yo, can we give it up for the worship band? Come on. They are so gifted at things. Oh my gosh, wow. Unbelievable, wow, guys. Uh, not to state the obvious, two years in a row, we need more chairs, so that's great. Uh, come back next year, you know, I'm kidding. Next week, we will have more chairs, I promise. We will pack this place out. This building may collapse, but you know, you take a risk every day. So, excited for you guys to be here. Real quick, if you've been to Salt Company before, make some noise, come on. Guys, I was next to those subwoofers and I like can't hear my left ear, so, but you guys are loud. Okay, if this is your first time at Salt Company, make some noise. Come on, yeah, awesome. Guys, it is so good to be with you tonight. If I haven't met you yet, I uh, haven't met a lot of you guys, would love to meet you. My name is Tony, I'm the director of this college ministry. I have the best staff team, the best student leaders. It has been such a pleasure to meet a lot of you guys today and we're so excited to get into our night together. So tonight, like Rachel said, we're gonna do what we do every single Thursday night at 8 p.m. We're gonna gather together, we're gonna worship Jesus in song, and then we're gonna worship Jesus as we teach from the Bible, the Word of God, because we actually believe that the Word of God is where transformation comes from. Not my words, not salt company, not the lights, not the flashiness, but simply the Word of God itself. And as you intake the Word of God, that your life would change. So I'm excited for you guys to be here tonight, because that's what we're gonna do tonight and every Thursday for the rest of the year. I want to really quickly shout a couple of you guys out. If you're not used to a place like this, and you're walking in and you're like, okay, I came for the Chick-fil-A. Why are these people raising their hands? So weird, right? Yes. Guys, I didn't grow up in church, so I remember stepping into an environment much like this when I was 17 years old, and my soul was conflicted because I was like, what the heck are they doing? But then I really liked them, so I was like, oh, shoot. You know, I was like, do I like them? Do I not like them? Oh, my gosh, don't know. Okay. If you're like, this is a unique environment for you, and you're like, I don't, I don't really come to a place like this. I haven't really grown up around religion or faith. I haven't, don't really know much about Christianity. Here's what I want you to know, that whatever background you've come in here with, whether you've grown up in the church or not, whether you've had a religious experience or not, whether you've walked with Jesus or not, whatever color of your skin is, whatever socioeconomic status you come from, whatever gender, sexuality, whatever, we are so thankful you are here. Thanks for taking the step to make it out to a place like this. I know it's crazy and a little bit scary, but the risk is worth it, and here's why. I believe that tonight God has created divine appointments for every single person in this room, and you're here for a reason. So thanks for being here. As we jump into the message, let me pray as we open up our time together. Father, I, yeah, I'm just thankful. Second year in a row, bad planning, but you're really good at it, so thanks. Thanks for the ways that you transformed people. Thanks for the ways that you broke into my heart when I was 17 years old. When I walked into an environment much like this, a room much like this, with packed full of young people here to hear the good news of Jesus. I had so many walls up, I had so many fears, so many insecurities, so many doubts, and Jesus, you met me exactly where I was. The exact moment I needed to hear the good news that Jesus Christ came to save broken people like me. Jesus, you, you got me, and I'm thankful for that. And so, Father, I do pray that our souls would still tonight that all of us would leave this place different, and that maybe some of us here would meet you for the first time, that they would feel the warm embrace of a gracious God who would bleed out on the cross, not a ambiguous or angry God, but a God who's so gentle and so gracious to people like us. 
Pray, Father, that you would transform hearts tonight and that all of us would leave this place different. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, so here's how I'm going to open up. I know this isn't going to get a good response, but I'm going to try anyways. Who loves math here? Wow, really? Some mathletes. Yes. Okay, engineers, accountants, future doctors, thank you for saving our lives when we die. Great. Thank you. I don't. Okay, so here's my opening illustration. I hate math. Here's why. Guys, I got two older sisters, and they're like borderline geniuses. I came home with my, I came home with my ACT score once, and my mom was like, why did you get a 33? Isn't that the average? I was like, no. It's out of 36, mom. That is like the top 1%. Okay. So anyways, they're really smart, so that made me feel sad most of my life. But I've also just struggled with it, okay? So I remember this moment in freshman year. Shout out to class of 2026. You guys, freshmen, freshmen, that's you. Freshmen, yes, yes. Lanyards everywhere. Oh my gosh, I can't even keep track of your keys without them. It'll be okay. But I remember this moment in my freshman year of college. Man, I just roasted you guys. We love you guys. I'm really glad you're here, actually. Uh, but, okay, I can do this. Rachel's announcement's crazy. I'm crazy. I'm gonna chill out. Okay. I remember this moment freshman year where I was taking a short calc final which was the calc that you took if you weren't smart enough for real calc, so they put you in short calc, which is very demeaning on many different levels. But I remember this moment where I got to the final of my freshman year's short calc experience. And guys, when you're in high school, math tests are like 40 questions, multiple choice. At minimum, you get 25%, you know? Like, if you don't know any math. But then you get to college, and they give you these things called finals that are worth 70% of your grade. I know, did I just hear anxiety? Like, I don't know, are you guys dying right now? Yes, 70% of your darn grade, okay? And instead of 40 questions, there's four questions, and each one of them are worth 50 points, and you're like, what in tarnation is this? So I got my shortcut final, and guys, I'm not gonna lie, question number one, I couldn't answer it, but I could show some work. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I don't have the answer, but I can put some equations out, and I can do some mental math, I can figure out some stuff. Question number two, I get to question number two, and I look at the problem, and I literally checked the top of my test because I was like, am I in the right final right now? This is not, this doesn't seem like short calc, it's like multivariable. Anyways, had no idea how to do it. And then I'm like, whatever, skip it, come back to it as any thinking person would. So I go to question number three, and then question number three, I understand less than question number two. Some of you guys have been here, and guys, I looked around my class, and I swear, this is what I thought it would look like. <laughs> They're so happy, you know? They're like, oh, so easy. Wow, short calc, easy. Yeah, I was like dying. I'm literally sweating. I'm like, oh my gosh, is, this, is it coming down on my shirt? So I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm not very proud of this, but I, this is a true story. I wrote on my short calc test, I'd like to do some extra credit. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony Lee. And then I just handed it and walked away. I was like, I... I just feel full of shield, like game, guilt, guilt, not game. I also feel of guilt, you know? Okay, so why do I tell that stupid story? If you come to Salt a lot, you're gonna hear a lot of stupid stories, like many stupid stories, okay? Why do I tell that stupid story? It's because in short calc, there are problems that I could not solve. No matter how long I looked at the problem, I had to leave three out of four blank, and yes, I failed. Anyways, back to the problem. There are problems I couldn't solve. Okay, a little bit more honest and real here. Like in short calc finals, where there are problems that you cannot solve. I do believe that in life, there are also problems that you cannot solve. Actually, when I was a freshman, I remember a lot of problems I could not solve on my own. No matter what I did, no matter what I listened to, I listened to so much Joe Rogan, I was like, I'm getting so smart. <laughs> That's what every freshman does. You know, you're like, I gotta get into podcasts, and he's the one. But no matter what I did, I couldn't solve certain problems in my life. Problems like no matter how much I tried, no matter how much determination, grit, and discipline I had, I couldn't stop watching porn. 
every single day a battle that I would lose. Or problems like, no matter how much encouragement or affirmation I got or how many likes I got on my Instagram, boom, comment, that thing. No matter how much of that I got, I was still radically insecure. I hated the color of my skin and the life that I grew up in. Problems like no matter how much I tried to forgive my father for the abuse in our family, I just couldn't. So I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there are things in our lives, all of our lives, all 500 whatever people here, there are problems in your life that you simply cannot solve. I think for a lot of you in this room tonight, your battle with mental health has been a problem that you could not solve. And there's some of you in this room tonight that unless you hear the good news that Jesus Christ loves broken people with broken minds, you might not make it to next kickoff. There's some of you in this room that are wearing scars from your ex who said something to you or did something to you or left you in such a way that your entire trust structures are broken. You don't even know what it looks like to have a healthy relationship anymore. There's some of you in this room who had a parental figure that was supposed to be there for you, but used their authority to hurt you, not to love you. It's all coming. I know that just got real deep, but that's the conversation we're gonna have tonight, is what do we do in life when there are problems that we cannot solve? Open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. We will bring a big box next week, okay? Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can also Google it on your phone. It will be on the screen as well. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a story of a woman who had a problem that she could not solve on her own. And here are the final five acts of the story. It's going to take me 15 minutes, so not a super long time. It's going to start with the disease, that she had a disease. It's going to go to the doctors because every diseased person goes to doctors. And then it's going to go to the desperation that those doctors couldn't heal her. And then, that's my favorite part, plot twist, it's going to go to the miracle where she encounters Jesus and everything changes, but it gets better. We're going to land in redemption. See, Mark chapter 5 is a story of a woman who went from diseased to redeemed by one touch, one word, one encounter, one night, much like this. And so my hope for all of us today is that we would see something in this text that, oh, hits us but also comforts our souls. Look with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Okay, let's begin with the disease. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay, so we just picked up this story in a pretty random place. So let me give you some context, okay? Jesus, if you guys didn't grow up in the church or weren't religious, whatever, he grew up in the sticks, okay? He grew up where no one wanted to grow up, like somewhere in North Dakota. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, actually Monty's from North Dakota. She's great, but everyone else, not great. Shout out to Monty. Come on, wherever you are. We love you. Yes, Monty. Grew up in the sticks. And then out of nowhere in his 30s emerged, started his public ministry, which some of us are like, what the heck? Why do you wait till he's 30? I still don't know the answer to that question. So starts his public ministry, then begins. And then Mark chapter 3, there's a man with a withered hand, and Jesus like, plop, and then it gets great. So starts healing people left and right, crazy. And then in Mark chapter 5, there's this moment right before this moment where there's a man with a demon, which is like scary, you know, like I hate scary movies. And the Bible's like a scary movie sometimes. And I was like, what is this? And it's a man with a demon. And then Jesus casts out the demon into a bunch of little piggies, okay? And then they run into the water. So like thousands of piglets be running into the water. Crazy story. So people are intrigued, as you would be, right? Man from the sticks, 
demons, withered hands, very exciting. So here's what happens. There's a crowd that forms around Jesus as this ruler of a synagogue bows down at Jesus' feet. Now, that would have been super awkward because if some of you guys are more from more traditional backgrounds where people wear like the cool hats and the robes and the canes, you know, those people don't kneel in front of anyone except God. Awkward, right? Kneels in front of Jesus, begs him to heal his little daughter. Hundreds of people around Jesus. Verse 24, which I know I didn't read, but if you look at your Bible, you can read it, says they thronged about him, which is a weird word that basically means jostling. So imagine you're at the state fair and you can feel like hundreds of other people sweat on you. Disgusting. It was like that. Okay. And then we catch up this story with this woman. Now to the hundreds of people in the crowd, much like a room like this, hundreds of people that had some curiosity about Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus, the healer. They'd heard about Jesus, the guy who would say crazy things. There was one woman who stood out, and that was a woman with a horrible disease. Now her disease was this. I know this is going to be a little bit dark, so stay with me. I need you to be with me, okay? This woman had a disease where she started a period, and it never stopped. And so 12 years, discharge continued to come out of her. Now, I want you to imagine this is your life as this woman, okay? Not only would it be incredibly, horribly painful physically, in the sense that when blood comes out of you that much, you actually lose the iron content in your blood and you start to become frail. There's no lifting weights when you have this disease, okay? No recovery, very frail, broken down body, but societally, it was far worse. See, the context in the Bible, this is why I love the Bible, because if you read it, you're like, oh, she had a discharge of blood, but you don't get this, so you should read the context, it's great. The reason why this was such a horrible thing societally is because this woman would have been considered unclean. Now, that's a religious word in first century Jerusalem, whatever. It's not actually Jerusalem, but, you know, Judeo, Jewish people. That took me so long to mess that up. It took me so long to just get that out. But here's what that meant, is that she was unclean everywhere she went. Unclean is like the worst thing you want to be in first century Jewish culture. It means that whoever she touched became unclean. She was rabidly contagious. It means that whatever she touched became unclean. And not only whatever she touched became unclean, but if you touched that thing, you became unclean. It was the worst type of disease of that day. This was her life. No one wanted to talk to her. People would sidestep her in the street. People wouldn't make eye contact with her. And the second that she brushed up against them, they would yell at her and ask and yell, how dare you touch me, you unclean woman. She was a complete social outcast, completely isolated, surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people every single day, and yet so incredibly alone. And here's the thing that she would have been thinking to herself in this moment. The last person who would want to have a conversation with someone as broken and dirty as me is a religious teacher like Jesus. Okay, I want to pause here. And say, I think there are some of you in this room that feel a very similar feeling. That you were in a crowd, much like the crowd that she was in. Hundreds of people in this room. And you might be feeling like you're the odd one out. You're the outcast. You don't know all the right things. You didn't know all the Bible stuff. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. Whatever it is, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way that a good God would want to know someone like me. And the good news of this story is not only does Jesus meet this woman He engages in a conversation with her, gives her radical dignity, heals her, and redeems her future. This is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. And my hope for you tonight is if you're walking in tonight and you're feeling like I'm too far gone for God, I'm too broken for the love of God, here's my good news for you. This story proves otherwise. And there's good news for you tonight.
But not only was she diseased, but she would go into different doctors. Look with me to verse 26. Okay, this is going to take a little long. I didn't, I didn't get one of those, like, caps that are nice, you know. All right, welcome to Salt Company. I'm going to drink some water. This is going to happen all year long, okay? That's an inside joke that was only funny for half you guys, but I was really hoping it wouldn't do that. Anyways, verse 26, let's read the Bible. And Gosh dang it. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no butter, but rather grew worse. Okay, so the story gets worse. Not only has she had this disease for 12 years, which by the way, think about what you were doing 12 years ago. I was in middle school and I hate that thought, but some of you guys were six which is kind of crazy. This has been your entire life. So not only does she have this disease her entire life, but she actually goes to a bunch of different doctors. See, doctors of that day were similar to doctors of our day. You would go to them when you had a disease, and she goes to a bunch of different doctors, and here's what the Bible tells us. Not only did she go to all these doctors, but she spent all that she had. Not only is she bleeding and broken, but she's also bankrupt, which means very likely she was homeless, and get this, not only did she not get better, she actually got worse. Okay, so what is this text supposed to teach us tonight? This text is actually supposed to teach us that any doctor that isn't Jesus will leave you desperate. Here's what I mean by that. In this world that you live in, okay, I'm, I'm referring to college, there are many different doctors that will give you medication for your disease. You're broken, you're hurting, you're like, dang, I can't figure out this problem. So then there's a bunch of different doctors that are like, hey, I've got you. Take this pill. Take this way of life. Take this moment to jump in. In the college lifestyle, here are a couple different doctors that you might be tempted to believe will give you freedom, but will actually leave you broken. The doctor of parting will tell you, hey, 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 just have a drink. Have another one. If you get drunk, I promise you that you will finally feel free full and fulfilled, but then you wake up the next morning filled with regret and desperation. The doctor of the college lifestyle that is giving your body away to whoever wants it promises you that you'll finally feel loved and intimate with someone, but then you'll ask yourself the question, does this person love me or do they just want my body? It will leave you broken and dissatisfied. The doctor of academics and athletics will just string you along. One more touchdown, one more A, one more achievement, and then finally, you won't have to be disappointed with yourself. But every day you'll live so disconnected from your own soul, always chasing the next thing, always chasing the next moment, always chasing the next achievement. Here's what I'm trying to show you. Any other doctor that isn't Jesus that you go to will only leave you desperate. And it's not worth it, man. And there's some of you in this room where you won't come back next week. You won't come back next month. You might not even come back this year. And here's my hope for you, that this night, you would remember 20 years from now when you've exhausted every single doctor in your life. You've tried all the medication. You've taken every pill. You've taken every drink. You've taken everything that the world had tried to offer you. You went to doctors to satisfy what was broken in you. Here's my hope for you, that you remember this night, September 8th, 2022 in St. Paul, and you remember that no other, no other doctor can satisfy you, but Jesus can. And that you would find yourself in a place much like this one day, 20 years down the road, 
to be satisfied by the living water of Jesus and not the desperation that broken doctors give you. This was this woman's life, diseased, broken, and bankrupt. But here's my good news for you. If you're here tonight and you're like, man, that's me. Like, I've tried everything. I've tried the achievement. I've tried the girls. I've tried whatever. I've tried everything, and I'm desperate. Here's the good news I have for you. There is something better than the broken doctors of the world, and that's the real one, Jesus, the great physician. Look with me to verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch even his garments, I will be made well. Okay, I love what she does here. She's like, yes, I want more than what these broken doctors can give me. And and there's something else I want you to see here, that she actually takes a massive risk to get to Jesus. Because think back with me to her condition. Remember, she bumps into people, they become unclean. Imagine hundreds of people, like state fair-sized crowd, bump, 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 bump. She just bumped into like 20 people to go and touch Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. That if those people would have seen her take off her veil and saw her face, it's very likely they would have dragged her into the town square and stoned her to death. Would you read between the lines of the stories that this woman took a massive risk to get to Jesus? Because she understood that those doctors couldn't heal her, but this one actually could. So she was ready to risk her life to go to know this one. Okay, here's what I want to tell you tonight from this part of the story. There's some of you in the room tonight where God is stirring in your soul that tonight's the night to take the risk to get to Jesus. You're done. You're like, those doctors, they don't satisfy me. Those pills, they don't work on me. That alcohol, that doesn't medicate my pain enough. I have problems that I can't solve. And although following Jesus is risky, I'm going to take the step of faith tonight. There's some of you in this room that God is stirring to take a massive risk in the same way that this woman took a massive risk. And Saul coming in. Here's what I love about Jesus. He always comes through on his promises. So in this moment, following the risk, we get the miracle. This is the best part of the story. Look with me to verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Amen? Come on. That is so awesome. Gosh, I love the Bible. It's just like, wow, what a riveting story. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from out him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Okay, here's what I love about verse 29. I'm going to hit that, and I'm going to hit the like, kind of confusing part next. Verse 29 is this. She touches Jesus. She gets healed. Notice the Bible didn't say, okay, she touches Jesus, but she also reads the Bible seven times a week, and she goes to church a lot, and she's a really nice girl. Notice the Bible doesn't say that she had any morality requirements. Like, you got to be like an eight out of ten person before you can become a Christian. You got to be like a pretty decent person. You got to do all the right things. No, here's what the Bible calls salvation by grace. I am broken. I am a sinful man. And yet Jesus Christ still loved me even in my brokenness. See, there's some of you in this room where your form of religion has been, I got to get good before I get to Jesus. I got to feel good about myself religiously before I can get to Christ. But here's what this story teaches us. This woman was not good. She was broken and diseased and hurt by life. And she touched Jesus, and immediately she was healed. 
This is how salvation works in the Bible. Jesus doesn't play like a game where he's like, you got to give me like this much of your life and then you get, no, you touch Jesus and you can know him. But then there's this like kind of confusing and honestly like somewhat rude thing that Jesus says, like, I know I'm not supposed to judge Jesus, but I'm like, what are you doing? And here's what he says. He says, who touched my garments? Okay. Which at first glance, you're like, come on, Jesus. You know, I mean, you're like, you're I'm like omniscient. Like, you know, right? And then his disciples are even like, bro, like, we're all touching your garments, like, inadvertently. You know what I mean? Like, my arm's here. Like, my sweat just hit your arm. Like, we're all touching you. But here's why Jesus does that, is he wants to actually give her more than just healing. He wants to give her redemption. Look with me to verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. At this point, the crowd stops moving. The crowd was on its way, making a lot of noise, jostling a lot, silence. And Jesus says, who touched me? And in a moment, this woman comes up to Jesus. She takes off her veil. She gets on her knees, and the crowd gasps. Because keep in mind, they want to stone this woman. She just made them all unclean. And here's what this woman would have been expecting Jesus to say. She would have been expecting to get the same response that every man in her life gave her when she touched him and made him unclean. She would have been expecting the same response that society gave her when she touched them and she made them unclean. She would have expected him to say, how dare you touch me? Instead of that, oh gosh, Jesus is so good. He says, daughter. Instead of wrath, he gives her grace. Instead of anger, he gives her gentleness. And here's what he does by using that one word, daughter. Which, by the way, is the only time this interaction between Jesus and the uncontrollable bleeding woman is the only time that Jesus ever used the word daughter in all of his ministry. So we should probably lean in and be like, what does that mean? Here's what he did with that one word, daughter, is he actually rewrote the last 12 years of her life. See, if you look at Mark chapter 5, you'll notice that this woman doesn't have a name. And that's not because the Bible doesn't love giving women names. Actually, if you look at the Bible, it is about five to 700 years ahead of its time in giving women value by giving them actual names in ancient scripts. So you should read that. But there's a reason why this woman doesn't have a name. It's because although she didn't have a name in the Bible, she had a name societally, and it was unloved, undesired untouchable, unwanted. And with one word, Jesus gave her a new name. She went from being unloved to loved by the king who created everything, from undesired to invited into relationship with him. Come on, Jesus is so good. With one word, he just said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Here's why Jesus calls her out of the crowd. He doesn't just want to heal her body. He wants to save her soul, and he wants to redeem her future. He wants to rewrite the past story that she had and give her a new life. The reason why he did that was because he wanted everyone in that town to know, no, 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 no. She's not unloved now. She's not undesired now. She's my daughter. She's with me. No longer stones but hugs. No longer anger from that town but reverence for the ways that God worked in her life. This is what Jesus does. 
because I can't call the worship band back up and we close here tonight. 2,000 years later, here's what I want you to know. From Mark 5 to this moment now, Jesus Christ is still speaking. And with one word, in one moment, with one encounter, in one chapter of the Bible, Jesus, with just one touch, transformed this entire woman's life from disease to redeemed. He rewrote her entire story and redeemed her future. And here's what I want you to know. There's some of you in this room tonight who have walked in with the titles of unlovable, undesirable, too broken, too far gone, and too messed up. And here's what Jesus says to you, son and daughter. With just one word, he can rewrite your story and he can redeem your future. When I was 13 years old, I told my parents that I didn't believe that Jesus was real. That intellectually, I just couldn't believe in the idea of a Middle Eastern carpenter to worship. I told them that I believed that Christianity was a white man's religion made to oppress people of color. That's what I told them. I was 13. I'm not going to lie. That was pretty intelligent. I said it less good than that. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't get it. There's something. Anyways. But when I was 17 years old, I found myself in a room much like this, with hundreds of young people. And I, I didn't even know why I was there. You know what I mean? Like, I was like... I think I came because the girl who invited me was pretty cute. Like, I'll be honest, I think that's why, in hindsight, it was a long time ago, don't judge me, don't judge me, but I was there. And it was on that night that I heard the gospel for the first time. So here's what I had as a perception of Christianity. I thought Christianity was work your way up to God. I was like, man, I look in the mirror and I'm honest with myself, and I'm like, no, 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 God wouldn't want anything to do with someone as broken as me. Because at that time, I was much like this woman. I felt like a complete outcast. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like no matter what I did, I couldn't get whole. I'd go for weeks and have a couple good weeks, and then I'll spiral out of control. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way, if God exists, that he'd want to be with someone like me. That was just true in my life. And so I walked in that room, frankly, scared and a little bit intimidated and weirded out by the Christians. But I heard the gospel for the first time that night, and everything changed for me. Because here's the gospel. It's not, I'm good. It's not, I'm healed. It's, I'm diseased. And Jesus is like, I can take you with one word from disease to redeemed right now. That's the gospel. See, the beauty of this story in Mark chapter 5 is that there was a woman with uncontrollable bleeding who would risk her life to get to Jesus. But fast forward 10 chapters later, Jesus on the cross, here's that story. Jesus himself bled uncontrollably, not just to risk his life, but to give his life for people like you and me. That's the gospel. It's good news. It is good news. Yes, come on. That's awesome. That's good news. So tonight, here's what I believe. 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is still speaking. And the man who spoke to me when I was 17 years old can speak to you again. One word, one moment, one night, your entire past and your entire future renamed and redeemed. All you have to do tonight say, I've got a problem that I cannot solve, and I want to touch Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we believe that tonight you are rewriting stories in this room, that this is not a dead room. This is a live room, and we pray that tonight someone would see their disease, that they have nothing to give you, that they are broken and sinful and struggling with so much, that they have a story that is painful. But Jesus, with one word, we believe that you can rewrite every story. We believe that Jesus, the way that you took this woman from disease to redeem, you can take anyone in this room, no matter their background, no matter the color of their skin, 
No matter the pain or the past or the sin they're currently struggling with, that with one word, Jesus, you redeem all. And all they have to do is reach out their hand and touch you. 2,000 years later, you are still speaking. One word, one moment, tonight. Father, would you do it again? Would you usher people into eternity tonight? And would someone come to know you for the first time? We believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.